This is the Yara Crop Nutrition Podcast. Yara is the global leader in crop nutrition knowledge and the leading producer of quality fertilizer products. The podcast is intended to facilitate the transfer of knowledge for farmers and crop advisors, improving farm profitability and environmental sustainability. With Yara, knowledge grows. Thanks for joining another edition of the Yara Crop Nutrition Podcast. This is the Agronomic Tip of the Week with Dr. Steve Petrie. Last week we started talking about tissue analysis and how that can be a tool in your toolbox. Uh, we talked about how soil testing is a predictive tool while tissue analysis is a monitoring tool and can help us understand what is actually happening in the plant uh, throughout the season. Uh, today we're going to talk about how to take a correct tissue sample, where to take those samples, um, how to take them, when to take them, uh, what are the, some of the pitfalls uh, and common mistakes, and then what do we get from the analysis and what uh, results are results that you can um, rely on, and there are some that you can't. So let's get this thing rolling. Dr. Steve, how do you take a correct tissue sample? Good question, and, and best is going to depend on what crop we're looking at. And we need to look at the plant part that we're going to sample makes a big difference in many cases for how much nutrient will be found in that plant or in that plant part. For example, as I mentioned earlier, potato petioles, we look at nitrate levels, not total nitrogen, but nitrate nitrogen in a potato petiole. We choose the fourth petiole from the top of the plant. That's generally the first fully expanded leaf okay. or leaflets. Okay, that's what – and the, the leaflets are stripped off and the petiole is used. And we look at nitrate because nitrate reductase takes place – or the nitrate reductase enzyme is found in the petioles – in the, in the leaves, excuse me. And so we look at nitrate in the petiole, and that is then reduced and, and converted to different forms, the amino acids and so forth, and the proteins and stuff by the leaf. And so in the petiole, though, we're looking at nitrate. In the case of wheat plants, which I've done a fair amount of work on wheat, there I look at the youngest half of the fully expanded leaves, and I look at total nitrogen. Now, you can, in fact, use nitrate nitrogen, but the concentrations are very, very low. Potato petioles may have 20,000 parts per million nitrate, and a wheat leaf may have 40 or 50 parts per million nitrate. Vastly different number. I look at total nitrogen in a wheat leaf. If we look at almonds or tomatoes or citrus or other crops, we have to go to standard tables to know what part of the plant should be sampled. In the case of alfalfa, it's the upper third of the entire plant. Mm -hmm. Leaves, stems, everything is taken. Oh. And so, you know, we could give a list here, but the, but the reality is that you need to check with the laboratory that's doing your analysis to know what plant part they want to do the analysis. Okay, and it's similar to um, soil sampling where you go out and just randomly um, pick the correct piece of the plant and put them in a, a bag and shake it up and take a random sample and send it to the lab, or do you send all of them? How, how many do you need? What, what do you suggest sure. there? 
Yep. Well, and and the sample collection process will, again, vary depending on the crop. Uh, For a potato field, you can simply walk through the field and select the fourth leaf down and and collect the appropriate number of those. In the case of some tree crops, there's very specific recommendations about which uh, spurs should be which from which spurs the sample should be collected, whether it's a fruiting spur, a non-fruiting spur, whether it's the north or the south or the east or the west part of the tree, potentially how, how high up it is, how far out the branch. All that needs to be known because the numbers will be different when those samples are analyzed. In the end, uh, you need to have enough sample to the laboratory that, that they'll dry it and grind it and have enough to use for their analysis. Unlike soil sampling, where we collect 20 individual cores, mix that thoroughly, and then take a subsample, in the case of plant tissues, I simply collect the number that I need, put those into a paper bag, not a plastic bag, but a paper bag so it can breathe, mm. and then send those to the laboratory or take them to the Dropbox or deliver them to the lab, however the, the sample has gotten to the laboratory. But the the, lab, the samples need to be able to breathe. They begin the drying process. If they're in a plastic bag, they'll, the moisture will sweat. They can mold and, and have any, uh, which can affect the analytical results. Is there a better time of day to take the tissue sample? That's a good question. And there that's an area where there's research ongoing right now, particularly in the case of nitrogen, because nitrate reductase that I referred to earlier converts nitrate into amino acids and then onto proteins, you know, they are used for protein production. Nitrate reductase is light induced. So nitrate will build up in plants in the evening and begin to be reduced during the daytime. And, and, one might expect to see differences in nitrate within plant tissue between a sample collected, for example, early early before dawn mm-hmm. in the day and one taken in the afternoon when there's intense sunlight and the enzyme is working at full intensity. The jury is still out whether or not it's enough different to make a meaningful difference. There are some people that will collect samples from the same orchard or the same field on their rotation at the same time of day so that the values are consistent to allow for that. Um, I've tried to do some work like that myself on wheat and not found any difference, but uh, I know others is an area of ongoing research right now. One of the other issues about sample handling is that contamination of that plant sample can dramatically affect the results. And contamination can occur from a couple of sources. One is if the sample is collected early in the growing season when when the plant part is close to the soil, mm-hmm. there can be a possibility of soil contamination. And in many cases, because of the analytical techniques that are used, if there's soil on the plant tissue, that will result in vastly elevated levels of some of the nutrients to where the sample can you can't meaningfully interpret it. Or if there's a a sample that has a significant amount of dust on it, and in an environment where there's a lot of dust blowing around, the dust on the leaves or the other plant part can affect the results. 
fertilizer application, particularly foliar application of nutrients can skew the results because some of the nutrient remains in the cuticle and trapped on other parts of the plant and is not truly metabolically active but may show up on plant analysis. And so if, if a person has used a foliar nutrient application, I recommend waiting until they can collect a sample from tissue after the sample, I mean, at, that from tissue that has grown after the foliar nutrients were applied. How long does it suggest to wait after a foliar application? Well, again, it depends on how quickly the tissue is growing, but it could be as short as a week or two, depending on what plant is what plant part is collected. Maybe a little bit longer if it's slower, you know, earlier in the spring when it's not growing as actively. You just have to be sure that you're not pulling plant tissue that has a artificially high level of nutrients in it. The other thing that can that can be an issue when we talked about the dust or, or soil that's adhering to the plant sample is washing the sample with deionized water or distilled water. Some people will do that, and that is appropriate for some nutrients, but even there, there's questions about leaching of nutrients. For example, potassium level. Uh, potassium is very mobile, can easily be leached out of plant tissue. If you're going to have analysis for potassium, you want to be sure not to wash it. And how effective it really is to wash the leaf surface is open to question as well. So it's better if you can just don't take samples that have soil or dust on them and interpret the results carefully if you can't wash it off successfully. What else uh, should we know about tissue samples? What what comes when we get it back from the lab? What are we going to get? Something similar to a, a soil sample? Does it give us some thresholds of where we need to be depending on the crop, uh, the specific crop variety and uh, uh, growth stage? Typically, the lab will have uh, some type of a color coding system you know, yellow, green, red, or different labs use different techniques. So there'll be both a numerical result as well as a, a color coding to draw your attention to areas of, of either deficiency or potential toxicity. The other thing that many laboratories will do if you're taking multiple samples throughout the growing season is that they will plot those on a graph showing time. And so there'll be calendar data across the bottom. In some cases, maybe a crop growth stage, which which will either be done through modeling or through information provided by the person collecting the sample. And so then you can look at the crop as it matures and as the calendar, you know, we go through the seasons, we can see how the nitrogen, phosphorus, zinc, whatever is changing during that growing season. I mentioned earlier, most nutrients will decline in concentration during the growing season. One notable exception is calcium. Mm -hmm. And not true for all situations, but for many crops, particularly permanent crops or crops where the leaves remain on the on the plant for an extended period of time, in many cases the calcium concentration will actually get greater over time. As the calcium is moved in the transpirational water, the water evaporates calcium stays in the tissue and unlike other nutrients calcium is not mobile so can't be moved from those leaves to, to new points of demand and so calcium concentrations over time will typically grow. What else do you think we need to know about uh, tissue sampling? Well tissue sampling is a, is a very effective tool for looking at most nutrients. Nitrogen, uh, sulfur, I'm, I'm not much of a proponent of sulfur 
soil testing or uh, understanding the results. There's just a whole lot of, of uh, variability that can come in. But in plant tissue, looking at the nitrogen-sulfur ratio can be a very effective tool for looking at either a nitrogen or a sulfur deficiency. And there's a ratio between nitrogen and sulfur. It varies somewhat depending on the crops. But, but again, looking at standard values, we can say, okay, the nitrogen-sulfur is out of whack. We have too little sulfur or too little nitrogen, and, and, uh, and then we can make the appropriate corrections. Plant analysis for phosphorus, very reliable. Some crops we look at phosphate. Uh, PO4 versus total phosphorus. We have to know what the laboratory bases their recommendations on. One plant analysis that I don't have much confidence in or very little, none, whatever you want to say, is iron. Mm-hmm. And if you remember, I don't have much confidence in soil testing for iron. In the case of the soil, it's because there is so much iron in the soil and our extractants don't do a very good job of, of of labeling us to know whether that iron will be available or not. So even in the case of plants, I trust my eyes and fertilizer responses more than I do the plant tissue analysis. I've seen situations where plants had more than 100 parts per million iron, but were clearly deficient visually, and the application of foliar iron within a matter of a few days would turn the leaves green. They were, they were clearly iron deficient. And yet because of iron fixation with other nutrients within the plant, the iron was not available. And so the plant analysis data told me there was adequate iron. However, that iron was not available in a form that the plant needed. It was fixed with phosphorus and other compounds within the plant. So I tell people in the case of iron, trust your eyes. If it looks like iron deficiency, there's a good chance it is. If you use an iron application, particularly a foliar iron application, and it greens up, it was probably iron. Now, you get some complications with manganese and zinc have have sometimes have a resemblance to iron and and so forth. But plant analysis for most nutrients is is very good. Iron is is the glaring exception to that. What are some of the common mistakes that you see uh, with growers that are um, doing plant analysis? Not collecting a good sample. Mm-hmm. And it, it is important to be sure to collect the right plant part. At, if it's, you know, in the case of potatoes, the fourth petiole really needs to be the fourth, not, not certainly not the second, probably not even the third. It'll make a difference in the results. In the case of trees, it's not not collecting the leaf that's appropriate for the analysis. And again, whether it's a fruiting or a non-fruiting spur and so forth, the the numbers are different. And we have to be sure to collect the, the sample that so that we can compare it to the standards. Those are those are the common mistakes. Where would one go to find out what part of the plant they should be collecting? Do they just go to the lab or should it go to uh, university local university studies or what? The first choice would be to talk to the lab or, you know, your field rep that you're working with from the fertilizer company. But the laboratory would would know exactly what plant part they want. And and if they have a recommendation on a permanent crop about whether it's a fruiting or a non-fruiting spur or the east or the west or those all those things, they'll be able to help you there. Then there are standard tables of data 
on plant analysis and, and the Western Fertilizer Handbook has tables of data like that that a grower can use and it tells exactly what plant part to use for the analysis. Um, universities have those as well. Uh, and, and again, out in the West, we have the Western Fertilizer Handbook, other regions of the country in Canada, you know, consult with your extension agent, your farm advisor, and of course the, the laboratory would have those as well. Can you think, Steve, in your great career of a success story where um, tissue sample has brought out something that you weren't expecting or changed a paradigm of, of nutrition? I've used plant sampling for 45 years, going back into, into my, my graduate school work. It's, it's just a standard tool that, that's used for research. I think the big thing is that in the last 20 years, we've seen a lot more use of it. It's just routine plant monitoring. And, and again, I, I know that people always want to minimize their expenses, but taking plant samples and having a, a, a library of samples over time, particularly for perennial crops, but having a library of samples during the growing season and from one growing season to the next can help us unlock secrets that of factors that may be limiting our crop productivity. And, and the nice thing about plant analysis is that it will pick up nutrients that are in a zone that's referred to as hidden hunger. Okay. And that is the zone where the, the plant is not so deficient that we see a visual sign of a deficiency. We don't see the bleached out white leaves that ones get, one gets with iron or maybe with zinc or manganese deficiency. We don't see purpling from a phosphorus deficiency or pale green leaves or yellow leaves from a nitrogen deficiency. But when we pull plant samples and we compare them to the standards, we see that, gosh, look at that. The nitrogen isn't starkly deficient, but it's not where it should be or the phosphorus or the zinc. And again, they're not so deficient that the plant has given us a, a trying to tell us by looking bad. It just doesn't grow right. And we can pick that up in many cases with plant analysis. And so even if we don't have standards from the research community that we can use, if we have our own library of samples taken over time, where we can correlate that back in our own experience with yields from our own orchards or groves or fields, that can help the grower and the field rep have a better idea what's going on in that particular field. Okay. Um, you know, we talked when, uh, about the cost of uh, taking soil samples. How does um, the cost of uh, taking tissue samples compare, you know, we can't, we're not going to quote prices because it varies to where, wherever you are, but how does it compare to soil samples? About the same, a little bit less? Very tip, typically about the okay. same. Again, it's going to depend on what nutrients are analyzed and, and so forth, but 30 or $40 would be the very bottom of the scale in my experience. And, and then the top end depends on how complete the analysis is, but 50 to $75 usually will cover it. Now, there may be unusual situations where you're outside of that range. And if the, if your lab happens to be outside of that range, that, that's, that, that doesn't mean they're trying to gouge you. But and some of the analytical techniques are very expensive mm -hmm. to do. The equipment is very complicated and so forth. So, But it's comparable to soil testing. And when you look at the acres that it represents and the value of the crop on those acres, it's trivial, mm -hmm. absolutely trivial. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, good deal. Well, it's good to know that there are many tools that we can use out there. And like a good carpenter, um, boy, you could have a toolbox full of tools, but if you don't know how to use them, uh, you won't be able to build anything. So it's good to know um, how to use each of these tools and how you can combine them specifically, in this case, with soil with plant uh, analysis to get a better picture of what's going on in the plant. Um, and, uh, and also always you can, you can get more information if you just talk to your retail agronomist. If you go to the local universities, they have information or, or get in touch with your local lab and they can help uh, educate you on how to do it and what information you're going to get back. The only other thing that we didn't talk about, Scott, yeah. and that is using plant analysis in conjunction with soil analysis to identify problem areas within a field. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's talk about that. And and we occasionally, I probably as much as anything, I don't encounter the, the routine application of fertilizers or, you know, routine nu- nutrient recommendations. But it's, okay, I've got a problem. What's wrong with my crop? Mm-hmm. And, and in some cases, it's clearly a disease. It's it's a misapplication of pesticides, or it's you know doubled up where the boom where the tractor turned and so forth. And those are easy to diagnose. In other situations, it's more complex. And in those, if you do have a poorly performing crop that's in a localized area, I strongly recommend that a a combination of soil and plant analysis be used to diagnose those problems. Ideally. I would recommend that a soil sample and tissue analysis or tissue sample be collected from the same area, the same trees, same tomato plants, the same wheat plants, potatoes, whatever they are. A small area to collect the soil and plant sample from a good area. Then from that's one that's in the transition between good and suffering from the problem, then go to the worst part of the bad area and then continue on to in a line or whatever the pattern would be to another transition and then to a good zone. So we have good, marginal, bad, marginal, good. And I know there's more cost in doing that because you have five sets of soil samples and five sets of plant tissues. But that gives us a much better indication when we run a complete analysis on those of what the disorder might be. Now, that's just looking at nutrition. If we start to think about things beyond that, then we have to get involved with a lot more expensive testing. But, but to just look at nutrients, that, again, there's five samples, 10 both soil and plant. In relationship to the value of the crop, it's, again, it's a trivial thing. And somebody really, uh, you know, a local expert or somebody coming in really needs that information to help them diagnose what the problem is. Thank you, Dr. Steve, for your wisdom again and the good conversation we've had about tissue sampling and tissue analysis. If you have more questions about tissue analysis, you can uh, contact a Yara sales agronomist, your retail agronomist, or go to your local lab uh, that you trust. Uh, Also, you can go to our websites that are mentioned at the end of the podcast. We hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you next Tuesday. You've been listening to the Yara Crop Nutrition Podcast. For more information about our company, please visit us at www.yara.com or yara.us or for Canada, yaracanada.ca. Thank you.